Welcome to the Superpower Success Podcast. At Keystone, we believe exceptional organizations don't just happen. They are built by focused leaders that recognize their authentic leadership superpowers. Join us for a serious dose of inspiration. With the launch of my second book, The Culture Climb, we are making available to you three free amazing tools that will help you get started in creating a better culture for your team. Go to www.thecultureclimb.com and download your free copies today. Welcome everyone to the Superpower Success Podcast. I'm so glad you joined us today. You're going to love today's conversation because, well, I'm going to love it and then you also get to enjoy it. This is how this works because I get to spend some time with powerhouse female entrepreneur, president and founder, Kelly Kolar, and she owns Kolar Design, which is a global brand experience firm. And Kelly and I got introduced at one of the, she's also one of the hundred women to know. So you need to know her. So look her up now. Um, But we got into this wonderful conversation about culture, about spaces, which is what her team does is how do you create these beautiful spaces that reflect who you are in your office building and all of that, and also represent your culture. And so we got into this robust conversation um, and just really became fast friends because of our, our love of talking about all things culture and really beyond just, you know, the culture and the work side of things, but also the environment and what the environment can do to the, to the work that you do. So Kelly, thank you for being here and, and just for just inspiring me every single time I talk to you. Uh, Thanks so much, Jenny. It's such a pleasure to be here and share with your audience, the story that I know they will really, really resonate with people as they look at their own office and workplace experience. Yeah. So today, I mean, this podcast is about you as a leader, but you being also founder of a business, right? That is part of your entire journey. And so I want you to just share with us, how did you, like, what does your success journey look like, right? What got you to this point? What are those key highlights and milestones that you would attribute to like, this was part of the journey to get me to where I am today? Oh, thanks. That's such a great question. You know, my story really is rooted in empathy. And empathy is the ability to understand and share feelings of another. And how I was able to really dial in and be an empathetic leader is really from my history and my childhood where I started. So I'm gonna go back even to the 60s, growing up in Detroit, Michigan, you know, right after the civil rights movement and some of the explosive things that were happening around diversity and equity in the different communities. And so as a five-year-old at that time, I really was attuned to the amount of fear um, that, that came with living in a tumultuous society. So it made me wonder, why is this community acting out? What's happening? And me growing up already having that fear was something that deeply rooted me. Of course, we know fear today is false evidence appearing real, but of course, at the time year old, at the time as a five year old, it seemed very real. Then, following on the heels of that uh, experience, I in Detroit, you know, had I'm the youngest of five siblings, so 
I was really kind of grew up with my pesky two older brothers, you know, that were constantly, you know, pushing me down and forcing me to get back up. So I always learned how to be kind of coming out of the gate right away as, you know, nobody could push me down and I wouldn't be able to get back up. So that was, you know, another component of my childhood of my father was an entrepreneur. We were all kind of raised to be independent thinking and entrepreneurial thinkers. And of course, you know, growing up youngest of five, I was always trying to keep up, get up, work faster, work smarter, work harder, um, you know, just so I could try to keep up with my brothers and sisters. And then I think, you know, the third component, which was interesting was, you know, growing up in, sorry, in Oakland County, there was actually a serial killer in my county when I was 10 years old. And again, kind of back to that fear piece and understanding, you know, two, I knew two of the people that were actually murdered um, in my neighborhood. So I grew up in a very nice neighborhood, but, you know, just again, having that kind of impact, um, life and death type of experiences, you know, really changed me and shaped me. And so, you know, how do you grow out of that? You know, what, what is the goal that you have and how do you find respite from something like that? So for me, there was really kind of four key ways that I grew and kind of healed myself. And that's really the reason why I know what it's like to create safe spaces, because I know what it feels like to not be in one. And so nature became my respite, you know, growing up in the woods and spending all of my time around the energy of nature and really just feeling safest within nature. And then as a creative person, being a part of that journey of always finding discovery and fascination and safety that led me to the arts. And then the arts allowed me to kind of integrate that what I was thinking about nature and how the arts become expressive of you know, an imaginary world that you want to create for you to live into. And then that led me to my education. I originally went to Michigan State for advertising, but I really didn't feel good about advertising because it was like about like tricking people. And of course, growing up in Detroit, there was like three careers, you know, automotive, automotive, and automotive. <laughs> so fortunately, I went to a lecture by a renowned graphic designer named Rob Roy Kelly. And he was teaching at that time at Carnegie Mellon University. And I saw this lecture and it changed my life. So don't ever think that by just doing one thing can't change your path like that because it can. And so then that led me to my education of you know, studying design at the University of Cincinnati in the design, art, architecture, and planning program. And that program really fosters growth and entrepreneurial thinking. Um, you know, we have a co-op program, so we go to school for three months, then we work for three months. And in my five years there, while I spent five years getting a degree, I also walked out with two years of experience working in San Francisco, Chicago, Boston, and New York City as well. So, you know, you never realize what is the springboard to your future. You know, bad experiences and good experiences can shape, you know, who you are and how you think. You know, and, and experiences, you know, that's really what we develop is brand experiences. It's really an event or like an occurrence that leaves an impression on someone. And those can be formative years like I had where there's a lot of fear in my childhood, but I now know how to create safety because of that. Or it's your first, your first experience of your first job, walking into the corporate headquarters for the first time, or 
you know, your first time on the campus when you choose, you know, one campus over another. You make that decision within the first 15 minutes. So that's why as an empathetic leader, I've really focused on understanding what are people thinking and feeling inside of a spatial experience? And then what is the role that brand plays in building that insightful experience, whether it's brand culture, um, you know, brand visibility, mission, vision, values. Um, but you know, every moment, every intersect, every touch point is so important to building a meaningful and memorable, and now of course, measurable experience as well. Well, and I love this because just even hearing your journey and, you know, following you on LinkedIn and seeing some of the work that you do, I can now understand right from your upbringing and how that journey, because you're so involved in the community and you're so involved in making experience for, for others, right. And, and, and creating that space for them. And I, I just, how all of that fits together makes complete sense. And then the idea of we, we define culture as the way you think, act and interact right, every day. And your space, right? And the work you guys do is involved in all of that and how people are thinking and how they're interacting with each other, right? What is that space? And then how they're interacting with the space itself. And so I think that's just a beautiful um, way to describe it. It's such a more macro level than most of us think about just like what goes in, right? To the spaces we're in every day and how that gives you energy, right? And really fosters energy in an environment. Exactly. I think that's why the pandemic, you know, now everybody cares about where they live, work, and play. You know, yes. the pandemic gave us a chance to reset and renew and rethink. And so our business right now has just doubled in size in the last two years. And it's just like a you know, launching pad for the future because we, it's like finally we were like ahead, you know, mm-hmm. where the market needed to go. We finally were there to be able to really leverage our strengths and our knowledge and our work with what the market really needed to respond to. And as you know, in business, it's always a, a you know, what's not about what you know, it's what about what they know. And when they're looking for what you, you do, it's really the best harmonious expansion you can imagine. I love that. So I want to go back because I know you've got some big corporate experience too, right? In your, in your journey, are there specific, is there a leadership moment or leadership moments that you remember, right? A lot of us have those where you learn something or you realized something that you didn't know. Are there any of those moments that you can remember that really shaped the leader you are today in your own business? Yeah, I think, um, yes, you know, we all have those aha moments, right? And we're always looking for when those aha moments occur and you can try to plan them out, but a pathway may or may not lead you to the destination that you thought you were beginning on. So for me, as a creatively lived, lived life, and as an entrepreneur, I'm really in tune with those pivotal moments where the edges are blurred, and there's some transition going on in my life or in my business. So the first most pivotal moment, and you kind of mentioned it a little bit talking about building community. I really believe in if you love your city, it will love you back. And I think as citizens in a democracy that we live in today, we all have a responsibility to make where we live the best place. And my first aha moment was literally in 1988 when I won a design competition to design the look, think of it like a visual cookbook for our city's bicentennial celebration. And on the New Year's Eve of 1988, right out of college, my thesis won this competition 
and I was hired to implement my thesis. So it was like a rocket ship right out of college. So remember, I was going to live in New York or San Francisco, but through my thesis, I fell in love with the city. And this winning opportunity led me to be the design director. And I remember standing on the edge of, and if any of you have been to Cincinnati, we have this kind of crossroads downtown on the corner of Fifth and Vine, that's our Fountain Square. And she's the genus of water, it's a beautiful fountain there. And it's where our community gathers. And I was standing on the edge of this hotel balcony, looking out and seeing 40,000 people on New Year's Eve, rocking and rolling, and ready to ring in the new year about civic pride. And it just took my breath away. I was like, wow, that's the power of design to change lives. Creating an event, building an experience, creating an aha moment for others. That's what can make something so meaningful and memorable. And that's really what starts to build pride. Pride in your community, pride in self, pride in family, pride in work, pride in tribe. So those that first moment I looked out and saw the power of design change lives, that was a major, major pinnacle moment for me. And that's when I knew this is what I want to do. Even though I was trained as a graphic designer, you know, I was like, you know, you know, in the beginning, you know, as an entrepreneur, you know, you just got to make it go. You know, you're like, I'll do business cards. I'll do posters. I'll do letterheads. Oh, you know, do you do logos? Yes, we do logos. You know, in the beginning, the first chapter was a solopreneur. You know, just, you know, wanted to do anything we can. But I always knew in the back of my mind that as the power of one, I wanted to be able to work to the power of 10x. But I just didn't know how to do that. But I knew that that's what I wanted to do. So I just needed to continue the path and the journey. And it is such a journey. So talk to me about all of these experiences you've had, right? They're just bricks that have kind of built like who you are. How would you describe the leader you are today? Like, what are those superpowers that you think you have as a leader that really play um, and help your clients, right? And your team be successful. Yeah, it's a great question. I, you know, I've kind of had the four chapters, you know, because I never worked anywhere else except for like my co-op jobs. I I started my company right out of college. And so what I realized through that opportunity that I had of winning that bicentennial, that was when I was just trying to figure it out. That was kind of the first chapter. And then the second chapter was that I married my college sweetheart. and um, He had two partners in his business and we were invited um, to design Cincinnati Children's Hospital. And I had already been at Children's Hospital with my daughter when she was first born and they saved her life not once, but twice. And I was like, I don't want to design that place. I'm not going back in there. It was like PTSD, right? And the hospital called me back and they said, but that's why we need you. Because you can actually help other families that go through the same experience that you did. And I was like, oh my God, like my design can like help other moms and dads. I'm like all in. And that was a really informative chapter of our company because now that's our legacy plan. We've had Cincinnati Children's from when they started, they were number 15 to 13 to nine to five to three to two to now number one in the nation. And we've been building healing spaces for patients and families and staff based upon that empathy model because I know what it feels like to be the most vulnerable person in the emergency room. And so that way is how we can design the experience, the script, the touch point, the registration, the physical environment, all of those things come together. Think of it like curating an experience. Um, and the space really, really drives, you know, doesn't change the clinical outcome, 
course, you know, the doctors are doing that part. But the space and the place and how you're welcome, how you feel that you've brought your family to the most trusted um, place to care when you're feeling so vulnerable. That was another pinnacle moment for me to know that as a client, that our work could align with our higher purpose mm -hmm. of unlocking human insights and then unleashing the soul in space for greater impact for clients and community. So that was the very first you know, client that really got me to see the power of healing spaces. And so that was a you know, huge chapter, about 50% of our business is healthcare now. I have a whole team. Now this is not for the faint of heart, I must say. <laughs> Um, you know, working in healthcare is, you know, can be really uh, challenging, and you really got to be the voice of the patient and the, and the and the staff people. And then the third chapter was, you know, while I was building my book of business around brand and helping them bring their brand to life, you know, through signage and graphics and you know, new branding and new positioning, and helping them really transform the experience. We started to measure the impact of place on people there. But we really got the idea from measuring our third chapter, where I was brought by Joe, by uh, by Procter and Gamble, um, hired us to bring their new brand to life of touching lives, improving life. And so you may remember back in the two thousands, Dirk Yeager had been the CEO, and AG Latin, the stock had kind of crashed. There was crisis of confidence amongst the shareholders. AG Lafley came in to restore the confidence, and he had the brilliant idea take the Procter & Gamble brand from being six-point type on the back of the shampoo bottle to actually not being a household brand, but being one brand. Because when they did the study, a broker study with Landor and other large global agencies, they were better known in some countries as P&G than they were in others. They were more, you know, in the United States, they were better known as Pampers and Crest. So AG's genius was to rebrand and reposition a company. And we were brought in as part of the creative consultancy. And we worked very closely with lots of agency and design partners all around the world, you know, as we did, you know, 17 headquarter sites of building what the brand is, you know, because he really felt that symbols of their workplace were important for their employees to be in touch and in the lead. And how would they be creating a best in class campus experience, whether you were in Beijing, China, or, you know, Jakarta in Indonesia, or you were in Paris or Rome. These were all important markets to the business. And it was a big acquisition time when they acquired Gillette and Wella. So there was a lot of real estate transitioning going on. Mm -hmm. So that was just a huge campus for us. And I think there we really, really honed in what does a brand environment need to be? And how do you utilize you know, furniture and furnishings and lighting, architectural elements and brand stories? to have it be holistically and integrated from a design perspective. So that really gave us a global stage. Uh, the global architect actually then ended up retiring and joining our firm five years ago now as we acquired an interior architecture firm. So he's really helping us now build out this full turnkey integrated piece. And so from a significant standpoint, that's the last chapter I'm in right now, making positive changes. I said to the global architect at that time, I said, this is amazing what we're doing. We got it. We should be measuring this. These, like this one project in Seoul, Korea, I'll never forget it. We took them from this like really generic kind of office building to a transformational experience. And the people were so happy. And I said, why aren't we measuring this? And he said, well, that's not our charter. 
I said, what do you mean? You measure everything. You measure my, your, your P&G, you're the biggest branding, you know, brand, we're in the branding capital of the world. Patrick Gamble invented for us. You measure my lipstick, my hair color, you measure everything. He said, well, that's how we drive revenue. He said, if you believe that, you either need to go over to HR or you need to find a company that uses their space to drive revenue. And so that was our aha moment 15 years ago to start to measure the impact of place on people. And we started with Cincinnati Children's and our healthcare plan. They're academic. They were open to this concept. And they said, yeah, you can help us make the registration process better or the waiting room experience better. And so that's what we started with them 20, um, 25 years ago as a client. But 15 years ago, we started measuring the impact of place. And that's now really becoming our way to have a legacy firm, but also it's our differentiator. That is our secret sauce because I got really tired of, you know, working with architects from all around the world. It's like, you know, they're, they're like, it's my chandelier. It's my vision. And it's just, you know, design should be egoless. It's not what I say. It's what they say. It's what the, the users say. So mm-hmm. our job as creatives is to listen, learn, understand, and create the best experience we can for the end user. And so that's why we want to start to measure to see what was the value of the return of the investment. How do we use data-driven analytics to change the outcome of the investment that the, that the corporation or the hospital is making? I think that, that, uh, that's now the way we're really changing the work we do. I love that word egoless because I think that pertains to culture and everything we're talking about. It's not, it, it is the environment, but it's like, we need to create an egoless environment in general, which means even in our leaders, right? And their confidence in how they lead, because I think that's what is, what gets in the way a lot, right? Of, of, of building those deeper relationships and, and fostering a culture as we've talked about. So how do you, I want to know about you as a leader, um, when, you know, this level of success and everything you've achieved and everything you're involved in, right? From a community yeah. standpoint, how are you, how do you ensure you're growing as a leader? What are the areas you focus on for your own personal growth? So I think as a leader, you constantly have to be challenging yourself. And so you know, me being a voracious learner, I always know that I have got a lot of facets to myself and I have shadow areas as well as bright areas. And so one of the things that people count on me for is, you know, positivity, right? And that creative energy, that anything is possible. So I begin my day each day with a meditation. And I really want to be like a lotus flower. That's my leadership agenda, how I envision myself like a lotus flower, opening and closing as a source of creativity for others. And... People need that kind of energy. And I don't want to be a force to be reckoned with in this world. There's so much negativity <laughs> that I just really believe, you know, my dad taught me it, uh, generations ago, the power of positive thinking. And I apply that in leadership. I apply that with my team, or that egoist thing that you mentioned. You know, here, if we hire a designer, they might be incredibly talented, super rock star, off the chart. But if they come into our culture, our culture is so collaborative and so servant-hearted, and they're here to make their mark, like they don't usually last. Like that's not a good fit with our culture um, because we all together 
and our interdisciplinary approach and our design thinking and our innovation. You know, we have architects and interiors, industrial and brand strategists and fine artists. I mean, we have an incredibly talented under the hood interdisciplinary approach. And you know, people told me for decades, you can't build a firm like that because they keep thinking you have to be siloed. But for me, the best ideas come through collaboration and one idea sparks another idea and sparks another idea. And so I think aspirationally as a leader, you know, I want to continue to keep us focused on being a purpose-based company where we know that our impact and the work we do is so meaningful. You know, that's why I, I turned down like working for a casino and people are like, you're turning this job down? I'm like, yeah, I don't want to do that. I just don't believe that that adds to the fabric of the city or the community that I might want to serve. So, you know, it's important that you put your efforts and your energy and the things that align with your values. And then that way your team aligns with the values of the company. And now, maybe I started out, I was originally the founder, had my values embedded in the company. But today, our values are so much bigger than me. We all have a North Star now that we're headed towards. I love that. So one last just piece of advice before we get to the bonus round for all the leaders listening, right? And you work with your leaders in your company, but you also work with a lot of leaders at other companies, right? And the energy level, as you said, negative, it just, it feels like we're all just trying to keep our heads above water and survive. <laughs> what, if you were sitting across from, you know, a leader at coffee or whatever, what advice would you give them right now? What's one simple thing you'd say, focus on this or do this right now? I would say, you know, focus on being the best version of yourself. Whatever that is for you, whatever that is for you. It could be something very different. But each person knows what brings them joy. And that's the piece that people forget along the way. And they get into the trudgery and into the trenches and the ball and chain. And they just keep throwing their problems ahead. And then the ball and chain drags them back. You know, I would really, really focus on joy and then focus on being the best version of yourself. I love and that. So our leadership uh, trainings all start with leading self because mm -hmm. until you can lead yourself, it's really tough for you to be good at leading anybody else. Exactly. I totally agree with that. And I think the joy piece is so important inside of that. You know, it's, it's a lot. I mean, it, it takes a lot to be a leader and it can be very challenging times and I've definitely fallen off you know the pedestal more than once and you know what I find is you know to be humble and you know when you make a mistake you know, just own it and you know God knows I've made a million mistakes at this business and I've always gone you know hat in hand you know to the team and said hey you know I thought we were going to like I thought we were going to move to this office building but tried to sign the lease deal with that guy and I thought he was a shyster so now we can't go there we have to pick another place you know, it was like a complete failure. It was an epic fail, but it was the right failure. Mm -hmm. That's a great place. It's the right failure. Sometimes it is the right failure as long as it moves you forward. It doesn't all have to be unicorns and rainbows and everything looks perfect. I mean, I think that's just part of leadership, especially today. Okay. okay. So I want to get into the, the few of these few bonus round questions. So just like kind of quick questions. Um, I don't think I can knock you. I, I think you're going to be ready for these. I did not give you these ahead of time though. So um, my first question for you is what makes you belly laugh? Like really laugh who or what makes you laugh? 
my husband. That's the key to any good marriage mm-hmm. is laughter. That's all I can say. I mean, he has the funniest sense of humor. I call it the I'm in humor. He has a different last name than me. It's like a multi-generational thing. His whole family has it. And I don't have that. And so I love that I have a partner that can just make me burst out laughing. Um, and I think, you know, when you look at golden love and couples, you know, that have had a decades-long relationship, if you look at how much joy they bring each other, it's usually through laughter. Right. So keep on laughing. I love that. Um, if you could have a billboard with anything on it, what would you want it to be? Why? What would you have it say? I would say never underestimate the power of one. You can make an impact. I love that. Every kid in college needs to hear that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, you know, it can be little things, right? I mean, I worked, I was on this board here at the Cincinnati Arts and Technology Studios class that was modeled after Manchester Goodwell School in Pittsburgh. And we took kids that were at risk of dropping out of high school and we put them into a high school art club. The idea is that if you can mold a piece of clay, you can mold your life in a new way. Mm-hmm. And we couldn't focus on thousands of kids getting into high school, but you know, we focused on one at a time and we made a difference in lifting them out of poverty, helping them get access to education. So that's impact. It can be just a simple thing. It can be one class, one message, one coffee, one lunch, one phone call. Everybody has a wave that they can make a ripple effect with. Well, I think you just answered my last question, which to you, what does being ridiculously human mean to you? And I think it's about creating impact. Creating impact. That's at the end of the day, you know, we forget sometimes, you know, we can have negative impact on things. And I think being conscious and aware and having empathy and understanding what the other people's shoes look like is a super important piece. And then thinking about what are their needs, what are their pain points, and then making more impact. So my wish to everyone is just find one thing that you know you can make better. You know, my mom always taught me to, you know, leave bathrooms cleaner than when I found them and, you know, make sure that everything I'm doing is always, you know, making the world a better place than when I found it. And I've just decided that's use my time, my talent, and my treasure. What a beautiful way to end this whole conversation because we started it with empathy, right? And and we ended it in that same space and that you can be very successful. I mean, you are uber successful in the things you've, you've achieved in your career, but the things that you remember and the things you talk about are not the achievement piece of it, right? I, you could have if anyone follows her, you know she receives like a hundred different awards a year. That's not what we're t- that's not that's probably an understatement, but that's not what we're talking about here today, right? It's it's about what that created, the impact that that you being able to have that platform, right? And that relationship really created. So Kelly, you are a joy yourself. Oh, you, you so much have been an inspiration to me and I, I just love our relationship and being able to learn from you. And I'm so glad that you're on the podcast so that others can do the same. Um, and I just recommend everybody follow Kelly, check out what her company does because it truly is what I would say is bleeding edge in talking about how we really design 
right? Experiences for people and, and make life better in every aspect of, of what we do in our community. So thank you for being here and for taking the time to do this. Thanks so much. Talk soon. Thanks everyone. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure and hit that subscribe button so you get the latest episodes as soon as we release them. And remember to keep maximizing your unique leadership superpowers. It truly is the key to building success, both in your career and in life.